You are listening to Bitcoin, Blockchain and the Technologies of Our Future with Naomi Brockwell. everyone and welcome to NBTV. This is the weekly crypto beat show where we dive into all the latest and greatest with crypto and privacy. My name is Naomi Brockwell and I'm delighted to have special guest on the show today. We have Crypto Jeb from Crypto Jeb. Welcome to the show, Crypto Jeb. Thank you so much, Naomi. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, we got a lot of topics to dive into. So to give everyone a heads up of where we are headed in this uh, in this show, we're going to be talking about Tesla accepting Doge. What does that mean? Would you have chosen Doge? Got a lot to dive into there. We've got inflation hitting 7%. And you thought that 6.8% in November was high. Well, December was eight. So things aren't going in a good direction. Uh, we've got PayPal announcing that they are looking into a stable coin. We'll dive into all the details of that. Also give you a little bit of history about PayPal, some interesting stuff going on there. Uh, we've got Apple's privacy relay. You're probably like, what is that? I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about Apple's privacy relay, and I'm going to tell you why telecom companies are petitioning the government to get it banned. This is huge news you need to know about. Uh, we're also going to dive into Web 3.0. Moxie Marlinspike, CEO of Signal, wrote this great article diving into it, saying essentially this is not as decentralized as you thought. So we'll dig into those details and give you our take. So let's get started, Jeb. All right, I'm going to go ahead and introduce the first topic. Tesla is accepting Dogecoin. What does this mean? <laughs> So we knew, we know that in, uh, I think it was September last year, Elon Musk hinted that they were going to start accepting Dogecoin for merchandise. This was after they already said, we're going to accept Bitcoin. No, we're not going to accept Bitcoin anymore for Teslas. Then they're like, oh, we're going to explore Dogecoin. So they finally announced it. And today we saw Dogecoin surging 11% on the news, which was pretty substantial. Jeff, I'm going to throw this straight to you. So what's your take on all of this? What does this mean for Dogecoin? Walk me through your understanding. Yeah, well, when we were looking at this this morning over on our show, we saw that there were two cryptocurrencies out of all of the top 100 that were up over 10%, Secret and Dogecoin. And we looked at that and we said, oh, look at that, Dogecoin's up. And come to find out what had happened is that the match made in heaven, Tesla and Dogecoin, came together finally, and you are now able to buy certain merchandise, different little whistles and knickknacks with Dogecoin. The reason I say that Dogecoin and Tesla are a match made in heaven is because a lot of people don't realize, but Tesla does not have a whole lot of marketing that it does. It really doesn't have a PR team. Tesla has become such a successful company worth however many hundreds of billions of dollars it's worth because it is so in tune with the culture. I mean, seriously, how many car companies are going to have your car set up so that when you get on it, uh, get in it on Christmas, Christmas Day, it starts playing a Christmas song. That that does not happen. How many? How many that's a real thing that happened two years ago. Oh you would gosh. get in your Tesla, and it would start playing creepy, a Christmas song. No? 
it is very creepy, but it's also very popular <laughs> with our with our with our current uh, society. So, but also you can play video games on your Tesla. Like it's such a meme company. It's worth mm. billions of dollars, but that doesn't mean that it's not supposed that it's not driving forward with this whole meme culture thing. And it, Elon Musk is obviously at the head of that. I've talked about even on this show before how Elon Musk has basically won at life. Not that money is what winning at life means. I want to clarify that. But in his mind, he's like he's already accomplished everything he wants to accomplish he's like okay the next biggest thing that i can do is to make humanity an interplanetary species like how, how many people can say oh i've already done literally everything that i can do except for make us a two a two planet species that's where elon musk is so i think he's enjoying the fruits of his labor and having a little fun as far as Dogecoin is concerned, though, I think that it's a big concern that Dogecoin is doing this well based off of this news because I'll relate it to another currency called Crypto.com. Crypto.com is a cryptocurrency that does very well, but it does very well because of one company that supports it. Crypto.com, the company, is in support of Crypto.com, the currency. So it's a very centralized um, model for where the value proposition is coming from, and I'm afraid that the same thing is happening with Dogecoin. Is it a project that people are doing things with? Maybe, but a lot of its value is coming from from one place and that makes it inherently unstable and also this is the buzzword of the hour relatively centralized as far as where the interest is coming from yeah for sure i mean i have some other things that i want to dive into that uh about all of this because i first of all i really appreciated your pun just now when you said that you know <laughs> tesla's really driving forward with the meme culture if you guys got the pun hit the like button we're liking every time jeb makes a pun we're gonna hit that that like button let's hope that uh you know i wish you could get a like record ones, right? <laughs> like a like record um so there are a lot of things that that i take issue with this first of all Elon's initial complaint about accepting Bitcoin was all about environmental concerns. Like, isn't Dogecoin a proof of work coin as well? So it's like, how how is this better for the environment? Uh, the second concern I have is that everyone talks about Dogecoin uh, and very few people actually bother to go look at the transaction fees. They're not at all low. They're like 25 cents on average over the last six months or something. And so that's really, I think it's even higher. Right now it's 25 cents. And then over the, the average for the past six months, it's like 80 or something. That's not low. So if you want to be using this as an everyday currency, let's hope that you're spending a trillion dollars at a time because spending 25 cents to make a transaction isn't really great. Um, now, I've, I asked Twitter, I said, like, what coin would you have used if you were accepting you know, crypto for merch? for merchants uh mer yeah merchandise at tesla and i got a bunch of responses so some people said like listed a bunch of things like oh dash and uh bch for memory and all of that and other people were just like initially you know dash was made for peer-to-peer -peer payments more uh tweets like there were lots of tweets out there um so uh why i'm sorry just getting control troll in my ear um let's bring those tweets up while i'm referencing them um so let's 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 backtrack a little bit there. Uh, the initial tweet uh, that I sent. Let's move forward. Go. Let's go to our first tweet. Anyway, um, so essentially, people were saying like, there's a bunch of of coins out there that are way better for this sort of thing than Dogecoin because Doge is actually a lot more expensive to send than people realize. So one person was also saying like, oh well, you know, it's a lot better than Ethereum. 
as if Ethereum should be our standard. Like a hundred dollar transaction fee is somehow like something we should be basing what good fee structure is. It's like, no, you can pay like less than a penny to send on Zcash or Dash or BCH or any of these other things. So it is baffling to me why a company that is exploring merchandise that costs anywhere from like $10 to a few hundred dollars is using a coin that isn't really set up with this in mind, right? So Jeb, your thoughts on that? Like what coin would you have chosen? Or do you think that Tesla, like it's, you couldn't do anything other than Doge? Because as you said, they're just a match made in meme heaven. They are a match made in meme heaven. And to be honest with you, Naomi, I think it all goes back to the purpose. Why did they do this? Well, they did it for attention. I, I mean, it's really that simple. They didn't do this because there's millions of people out there that are using Dogecoin every day. People that bought Dogecoin are trying to become mm -hmm. millionaires and they're two years late to the party. But the problem is Elon Musk is pumping Dogecoin because he thinks it's funny. It's not because of its technology. It's <laughs> yeah. not because of its scalability. It's because he thinks it's hilarious. And frankly, yeah. it is actually pretty funny that there's a, what, a $40 billion dollar cryptocurrency that's a meme made after a, a, a meme from when I was in middle school, you know? So they didn't do this for the sake of scalability. They didn't do this for the sake of of anything other than getting attention. And that's exactly what they're getting. So as far as I'm concerned, Dogecoin was the coin that they had to choose for this because the purpose of doing this was to get attention. Yeah, no, and a lot of people were saying, oh, well, I think it's just because Elon wants to pump his bags. Like, I don't think that was it at all. He's the richest He's man in the world. Why, why would he need to pump his bags? He's going to do things just to troll people. He wants to troll the Bitcoin maxis. Anyway, it's interesting that they're accepting crypto. I'm all for a major company uh, bringing crypto into the midst. Not sure it was the right uh, coin to actually be encouraging day-to-day -day transactions. But as we know, Elon's probably not going for that. It's all about the meme culture and the fun of the game. So let him have his fun. I think this is great. Let's uh, move on to our next topic here. So we're going to talk about something a little more serious. No more, no more uh, memes unless it's like money printers or this is fine or whatnot. So inflation rose to a nearly four decade high of 7%. The CPI numbers were released for December. This, I mean, this is a really huge increase. As core CPI, which excludes volatile like energy and food prices, rose by 0.6% uh, month over month, which also exceeded economist forecast. I will mention that, uh, you know, immediately after these numbers came out, Bitcoin went up, I think it was like 1.1%. It increased. Uh, Jerome Powell gave a meeting just before all of these numbers came out. He said that inflation remains well above the Fed's target, which is terrifying. Once again, Bitcoin was up 3.1% over that 24-hour period after the hearing. So it does seem that Bitcoin is still in people's minds as this inflation hedge, even though we're seeing a downturn in the market. As long as the government keeps printing all this money and as long as we're seeing these inflation numbers, it gets a little bit scary. Like, look at the, the this chart from uh, Federal Reserve, uh, the, it's from the FRED, it's M2 money chart. Uh, let's pull that up. Uh, look at that. Look at that. So you look at 2008, right, where apparently we had all of those TARP bailouts. It was huge. Everyone was like, this is a huge increase in the money supply. It is a tiny, tiny blip compared to what we are seeing at the moment with the rate at which the money supply is increasing, but then also that giant increase that happened in 2020. So things don't look good. Um, Jeb, I'm gonna throw to you for your thoughts on all of this. Where are we headed? Should people be concerned? What should they be putting their assets into, even though we don't give investment advice on this channel? Well, first things first is that the reason the CP lie doesn't really work all that well is because it is a metric that is designed to tell on the people that created it. 
So the consumer price index is a joke, in my opinion, because the people that put out the consumer price index are the people that it's supposed to be exposing. So when the CPI is saying 7%, it's probably 7 No, it's probably not actually that high, but it's probably a lot higher than that. It's really funny when the economists say, oh, it's ahead of our forecast. It's probably because the number you're looking at, the CPI, is made by the people trying to cover their own tails. Like, that if you could go back in history and never actually make that metric, that would probably have been a good idea for them because it only exposes their own money printing. The money printer going brr is basically the analogy of putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound hole, and we just keep saying, okay, okay, that bandage isn't working. Let me just, let me just put another one on. Let me, let, let me just put another one on. And, and it, it happened 50 years ago, and it's all like festering and just it's disgusting down there. That's what our economy is right now. We took a wound in 1971 when the United States went off the gold standard with the breakup of the Bretton Woods Agreement. Paul A. Volcker allowed the, the uh, interest rates to go up to like 18, 20% in the 70s and 80s, and then they went down, and there's been so many uh, federal chairs and so many presidents and so many um, uh, uh, sessions of Congress in those years that have kicked the can down the road and said, okay, we're just not going to worry about inflation. We're just going <laughs> to, we're just going to cause more inflation to not have to worry about the inflation. And that's exactly <laughs> what has been going on. Government and, logic. Yeah. Government logic. Let's, let's <laughs> let the other guy deal with it. You know, it's funny if there were either one term limits in Congress or two people were in Congress liter and they knew they were going to be in for their entire, their entire career. One of those two, now one of them is obviously a lot better than the other but if one of those two are the case you might actually see a little bit more responsibility because you'd see more long-term planning it doesn't work in our current system and don't get me wrong i'm all for democracy but it is a side effect of it you get people making short-sighted decisions that are based on instant gratification such as doubling the money supply in two years to put off a recession that should have happened two years ago and then you just leave the problem for the next generation that's why bitcoin is so powerful because Bitcoin doesn't even have monetary policy. It has code. It has program that builds itself into, into stable monetary policy that we cannot, will not, have never seen out of the Federal Reserve, at least not in the last hundred years, ever since it's been around. The inflation problem is only going to get worse. And it's sad because it's happened to so many currencies around the world. And now there's dozens of nations around the world that are dollarized using the U.S. dollar. And every single one of them is going to get hit very hard. By the way, that's why El Salvador went to Bitcoin. They went to Bitcoin because they were feeling the effects of inflation without the supposed benefits of having however many trillions of dollars of stimulus. Because their currency started losing the value, but they didn't feel all of that tax by inflation getting injected into the economy. So that's why El Salvador went off a bit. Uh, went to Bitcoin away from the U.S. dollar. That's why many other nations are going to do the same. Bitcoin, uh, the, U the United States will be the last holdout, but it is probably going to get worse before it gets better. It's just the way that it is, and it's very sad. It is indeed very sad. Let's keep an eye on that. And let's hope that people are getting their money out of cash, which is the worst place to have your money right now. Whatever you're diversifying into, just find something other than cash or you are losing a tremendous amount of your savings every year. Let's change track and go to PayPal. So some interesting news that came out from them. We did hear, I think it was September last year, we heard that a company they'd acquired called Curve was exploring stable coins. Now they've confirmed this. Apparently there was some hidden code in an iPhone app that said, we're creating PayPal coin, which is is uh, going to be a stable coin attached to the US dollar. Jeb, what are your thoughts on this? Is PayPal set up to kind of become the stable coin? I mean, they are the mm. you know, money intermediary. So do you think that they're on the right path to kind of become a, a really successful stable coin? 
Yeah, well, I mean, PayPal has a history of this, right? They have a history of being involved in financial um, upheavals. That's what PayPal did. PayPal brought about this whole idea of internet money before cryptocurrency was ever around. Back when it was X.com and Elon Musk was founding it, which is funny, Elon Musk is coming up quite a bit today. Back when Elon Musk <laughs> founded it, um, the whole idea was to provide financial services. And you go back and you watch some of the speeches Elon Musk did. And what PayPal was doing at the time was all kinds of different financial services. And whenever they put they pitched it to investors, they all said, oh, but wait a minute, what about that email? What, what about the ability to, to email and do these email transactions? And so PayPal kind of tripped its way into revolutionizing online commerce, and they basically paved the way for internet transactions as we know them. It's a company that's been around for well over 20 years. They managed to, with, to, to survive through the 2008 financial crisis. They've only grown during the Bitcoin uh, rise over the last two to three years. They haven't been falling by the wayside. They haven't been playing catch up like other major companies have been doing. Instead, they've been actually one of the biggest uh, companies that's taking advantage of that. And for a tech company that's been around for 25 years, I commend PayPal for still staying up, um, uh, staying with the times. Like you think about what was around 25 years ago. I, I don't even, th was AOL even around 25 years ago? You know, the, if 25 years ago, you didn't even have hardly any of the companies that are around now. PayPal has been around the block and they managed to remain innovative. So I do think that if any company is going to do a stable coin, it's going to be successful. PayPal has the culture and the history that backs up the idea that they will. Now, the thing that I will say to this, and we're going to talk about decentralization versus centralization in a little bit. The thing I will say to this is that as much as I like PayPal as a company, I like PayPal as a company, not so much as a provider of stable coins. I personally much prefer algorithmic stable coins if they are possible. And mm -hmm. projects like like Luna are showing that, hey, no, this mm -hmm. actually can happen. So PayPal probably will be very successful if they step into the stablecoin space. The question that I have for everyone is, would you rather have a decentralized stablecoin that you're using that's algorithmic and that cannot be regulated into oblivion? Or do you want one from PayPal? A final point on that, if PayPal is launching a stablecoin, that speaks volumes about the kind of regulation we're going to come see, that we're going to see in stablecoins in the next five years, because they are very intimately aware of what's going on behind closed doors because they're a multi-billion dollar company. If they're talking about launching a stablecoin, either one, they've got some backdoor deal that they're not going to get regulated into oblivion, or two, somehow they know, because they do know what's going on behind the scenes. They know that stablecoins actually may not be getting regulated as bad as we think for much later, for, for much longer than we initially thought. So that's a takeaway I also have from this. I will just respond to someone in the comments here who said that Elon was not the founder of PayPal. Please do some research. Actually, he was. He was a co-founder of PayPal. The history of the company is that you had these two competing companies that were vying for the same market. It was the middle of the dot-com bubble. And, uh, and Peter Thiel and Elon Musk were both competitors. They were at each other's throats. They were fiercely competitive, actually, and kind of enemies. And then they started to see the writing on the wall. They saw what was happening with the dot-com bubble burst, that there wasn't going to be the funding out there. And uh, so they said, listen, let's combine resources because otherwise we are both going to go under. And so they both joined forces. They created PayPal, and that is the history of PayPal. Uh, so that is your weekly dose of, of research there. I will just tell you another little tidbit of information about PayPal's history. So they initially wanted to be a new world currency so badly that they had that slogan printed on T-shirts shirts, new world currency. And it was actually, it took a while for, uh, um, you know, there were, there were, um, 
uh, sorry, I've just got like pinging in my ear. I'm just going to delete that. Um, so back in the early days of PayPal, they wanted to be on new world currency. Um, you had from PayPal CEO David, uh, COO David Sachs told CNBC back in 27, it was actually when Bitcoin came around that their vision was fulfilled. So that was pretty cool. They said mm -hmm. that we, you know, we believed that if we could get enough people to participate in our system, money would never need to leave the system. PayPal could become the database of money. And Peter Thiel, I think it was two weeks after their product launch back in 1999, gave this speech, which is recounted in the PayPal walls, this, this book, um, where he was talking about how governments inflate away the money supply. And in order to actually protect people in countries like third world countries where they just don't have access to good money, um, we need to create a different system. PayPal could be a solution for them. They wanted to be this thing. Government regulation obviously does not like any centralized entity competing with the US dollar. So that was never going to happen. Then they got acquired by eBay. Um, and so, it, yeah, it's a super interesting history. Now they're going back into stable coins, the centralized route, which has me asking questions about like, do they want to go back into all those regulatory headaches? <laughs> like, centralizing you know, money supply. That's why we have Bitcoin, which was the first thing that was decentralized that couldn't be shut down. I mean, there are lo there's lots of scrutiny around stable coins at the moment. I wonder whether they will be successful uh, in all of that. But we'll, we'll see. Jeb, I'm going to uh, leave you for this next segment where I'm going to dive into privacy, bring you back for the last box. Thank you, kind sir. And let us head into our next segment where we are talking about privacy. We have this new segment we are going to be diving into. And uh, while we're getting that teed up, I would love you guys to hit the like, share, subscribe button on this. If you've been enjoying the chat, we bring you all of the latest and greatest news in privacy and in crypto. So hit that like button. It really does help us get to more people and hit the notification as well, because YouTube does hide our videos. So this is a way for you to, to start learning. So into our next segment, it's called Get Off My Digital Lawn. Yeah. Pew, pew. All right. Get off my digital lawn where we bring you tips for your digital security uh, journey. And so this first tip that we're going to be diving into in this block is about Apple's privacy relay. If you guys haven't heard about what this is, so Apple pushed out iOS 15. Uh, it's more than a billion devices in September. They have this thing called a private relay, which basically acts kind of like Tor, but it's inbuilt into every iPhone, which is huge news. I'll talk a little bit about how it works, kind of like a VPN. Basically, it stops the network and providers and the websites you visit from seeing your IP address and DNS records, it makes it harder for companies to build profiles about you, including your interests, location, uh, which makes it you know, harder for companies to target you online and all of that. It basically routes your web traffic through two relays known as nodes. Now, when it first leaves your iPhone, your traffic passes through um, from Safari into the first relay known as the ingress proxy, very technical sounding term. But uh, essentially, the first relay is able to see your IP address and the Wi-Fi mobile network. But Apple isn't able to see the name of the website you're trying to visit. So then the next relay that it passes through is called the egress proxy, basically is a third party other than Apple itself. And they can see the website you're visiting, but they don't know your IP address uh, that you're browsing from. So to kind of summarize this, so you understand what I'm talking about here, your activity is divided to different nodes so that no single node knows what your IP address and the website that you're visiting. Now, generally you use a VPN, they have access to all of that information. Uh, and so they know wherever you go, like VPNs are not a privacy measure for those people who are um, you know, using those and thinking that they're anonymous. They're not a tool for anonymity. Uh, and so this is kind of a step up above that, which is introducing elements of Tor where it divides 
gets your web traffic so that no, it, it can't uh, associate you, the user, with the website that you're visiting, uh, which is really, really cool. Now, the big news out of all of this is that obviously telecom companies hate it. Just had news out this week that they've had major pushback from mobile operators in Europe, more recently by T-Mobile in the US. Uh, so operators such as Vodafone, Telefonica, Orange, T-Mobile, they are all griping about how Privacy Relay works. They're complaining that this feature would cut off access to metadata and network information. And uh, they're suggesting to regulators that it be banned. Oh my goodness, every time Apple does something good, like the privacy notifications, whatnot, uh, then you have all of these uh, this pushback from people who actually have their entire business model based on exploiting your data. So it's no secret that telecom companies take data. They even sell data. A lot of them bow that, oh, they stopped years ago, but there's really no way to verify any of that. And it is very clear that they're at least collecting all of this data and using it. So Apple was really trying to help users there. We will see what ends up happening with this, whether Apple could continue using this service is pretty cool. Having this Tor VPN hybrid built into every device, that is how we get mass privacy uh, for users. Individuals, you know, that you put them in control of privacy, a lot of them are just going to put their hands up in the air and say it's all too difficult. Uh, but the fact that Apple has actually inbuilt this by default is such an incredible uh, thing for privacy. So hats off to them and all of these telecom companies should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, uh, so let's actually move into our C block now. We are going to look at Web3. Jeb, welcome back. Uh, Web3. He is back. All right. So there was an article from Moxie Mullenspike, who was the former CEO of Signal, actually just resigned. Another, another tidbit of news from this week. He wrote this article where he basically said he doesn't get Web3, doesn't really understand what the fuss is about. He's like, I mean, he's an OG, absolute legend in the space. If you haven't looked into Moxie, you should. He's, I have so much respect for that man and what he's built. Uh, but he said, listen, I'm a techie guy. I'm going to explore Web3, see what all the fuss is about. He starts off with this general thesis saying like Web1 was decentralized, Web2 centralized everything into platforms. The idea and the promise of Web3 is that it will decentralize everything again, but give us the richness of Web2. So he decided to explore whether that's even possible. The big takeaway was people don't want to run their own servers. And so what we're ending up now is this situation where everything is back to being centralized on central service. And he's like, guys, this isn't a reasonable way to run things. Jeb, I'm going to throw this straight to you for your take. Like, what did you think of this article? Did you think, did it ring true to you? All right, he is muted. Did right. I'm good on there my you end. Are. You're back. Oh, I'm back. back. I'm back. I will not be censored like all of these centralized platforms. Dang it. We're going to talk about <laughs> decentralization here. No, I'm, but for real. By the way, thank you very much to Naomi. She's the one that got me started using Signal. I think it's a great app. Anyway, as oh, far excellent. as the question, the thing that you need to understand about this centralization versus decentralization argument actually goes back to a computer programming term, which is a uh, web development term, I should say, which is user experience, user interface. So UX, UI development. So the issue that cryptocurrency is running into right now is a UX, UI issue. The user experience, trying to set up your own nodes and trying to run all these things on your own and trying to, you know, have your own cold storage wallet. Like if you look anywhere in the DeFi space, anywhere in crypto, the more centralized it is, the easier it is. Why was Coinbase the most successful company uh, for fiat to cryptocurrency transactions? Because they built a brand with one word at the center. Simple. 
user experience. That's why even Coinbase Pro is a relatively simple exchange because they went for simplicity because all of this backend stuff, even something seemingly simple to us in crypto as going and getting an NFT on OpenSea or something like that is overwhelming for the majority of people. The last 20 years, the way that the web has developed has gone very far in the direction of user experience because what capitalism does through continual improvement of products is it makes things easier because it makes them more palatable. We've come to have a very easy life. It's very easy for us to do things that were very complicated 25 years ago, and that typically happens on centralized uh, exchanges, centralized servers, and it typically is a much more centralized thing. So to build a decentralized uh, anything, this includes Web3, is normally going to be harder. So the thing that we have to remember as people in cryptocurrency is we have to remember why crypto was created in the first place. Bitcoin was created not to make us rich. It was created to make us free. It was created not so that we could go out and buy fancy things. That's a nice side effect. Don't get me wrong. But that's not why it was created. It was created to put the control in our hands rather than the control in the hands of the uh, institutions and the central authorities. Here's the thing, though. Building a digital currency that's decentralized that can even come close to competing with the U.S. dollar was one of the most technical developments that humanity has ever seen. Distributed ledger technology is very complicated. Anything decentralized is very complicated because it's simply easier to do it in a centralized manner. So his point is that building Web3 it is naturally trending towards more centralization because it's easier. And in my view, the only thing that we can really do, because normally centralized solutions are easier, the only thing that we can really do is remember the ideology People don't like that word, but it's not a bad word. The ideology behind crypto of decentralization, of distributed computing, of having the control in our hands, and the developers out there that are building these decentralized autonomous organizations and building DAOs and building uh, DeFi, anything with the word decentralized in it, so long as they remember why we're here, they will do the thing that's harder. They will do the thing that's more expensive. They will do the thing that takes more time, building proper decentralized applications and decentralized you know, services even though it's harder because they understand why we're here. So that's what you and my job, Naomi, is, is to make sure that the people in cryptocurrency remember why decentralization is so important because mm -hmm. normally it is easier to build it centralized, but if we build it decentralized, we will not only be building a better product that will take more time to build and it will likely be a much higher quality product, we'll also be providing a service to future generations by putting the power back in their hands instead of giving it to governments. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more, Jeb. And I think that honestly, these companies are going to learn this lesson the hard way because mm -hmm. they're going to be building these things that will end up being shut down. You see the SEC, you know, absolutely clamping down on anything that's quasi decentralized that is kind of, you know, claiming to be decentralized, but it turns out that they do have that central server and they do have that CEO and they have an area where the government can target. And now, you know, they're being targeted by the SEC and potentially shut down. And the the projects which are legitimately decentralized really don't have that focal point for the government to target. I know that Gary Gensler, SEC chair, has said repeatedly, oh, well, de decentralized finance, that's definitely not si outside of our purview. We can crack down on all of that. But how is my question? How are they going to enforce this? Like, yeah, well, you know, if there is... Yeah, go ahead. You, you, you don't... Add, that, that's the thing about decentralization, though. You, we didn't ask your permission. 
and you don't have literally any physical ability to do anything about it. Good luck shutting down Bitcoin. I wish you the best. It ain't gonna happen. I'm sorry, Gary. It's not gonna be a thing that can take place. It's physically impossible, my friend, unless you wanna shut down the internet and crash the economy. But people in government like crashing economies lately, so who knows? <laughs> Zing, sick burn, jab, absolutely. Well, it's interesting. I mean, so Moxie has dived into uh, making an NFT. He talked about why this is problematic and why it's not centralized. I've done videos on this before as well about why your NFT may not be as decentralized as you realize. For example, he made a point that even, so he created this NFT that basically renders as something different depending on where you view it, which is really cool, just to kind of prove the point that these things are not these, these permanent pieces of art that are embedded in a blockchain. No, they're things that are just generally a URL pointing to something on someone's server. They can be replaced. They can you know, render differently. Like they, they, these things, the, the artwork that you think you're buying that forever, it's not necessarily the case. So he made this really cool art piece and I think it was OpenSea he put it on. They eventually took it down. But what ended up happening, because OpenSea will say things like, oh, well, it's still on the blockchain. It's still yours. It's just not on our platform. That ended up not being the case. So if he, he went into his MetaMask wallet, in order for MetaMask to actually render and, and show what things you have in your wallet, they need to be making a call to somewhere else, right? And in this case, they're literally just calling OpenSea, <laughs> their database. So it was removed from OpenSea. So it disappeared from his wallet as well. So, I mean, what Moxie is getting at is that these things are not as decentralized as we think. If we're pouring astronomical amounts of money into this world of NFTs and thinking that they're on the blockchain and they're forever. We should rethink that. Um, I'm more optimistic than Moxie. I think that we will get there. And as some people responded, because I know Jack Dorsey was all like, ah, Web3, la, 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 scam, whatnot. Um, I, I definitely disagree with that. I think that Web3 has potential, but there's no promise. There's no guarantee there. Web3 is whatever we make of it. And I do think that's Moxie's point in this article. You know, we need to be focused on the centralized aspects of this. We need to be fixing them. We shouldn't be taking it for granted um, that these things can e exist because governments can crack down. And then the whole point of us creating these decentralized networks is so that they're indestructible, so that they can't be shut down. And we're not there at the moment. So I think that it's, uh, it's important to focus on these things, but I'm optimistic. I think that we will get there. Jeb, final thoughts. Like you think we get there? What's the future of Web3? Well, I think we will. And, you know, people thought that a Bitcoin like a Bitcoin style currency was impossible for a long time. It had been attempted many times. And finally, Bitcoin came around. It was mine first, January 3rd, 2009. And I, it's going to take time. The more complicated something is, the harder it is to decentralize it. Because like I said, it's almost always easier to build something centralized than it is to build a decentralized. It's an incredible, let's not underestimate how technical of an, how technical of a challenge it is to decentralize something like the internet. Like of all <laughs> things you could decentralize, that's about the biggest, that is probably the biggest programming um, and mathematical problem that humanity has right now. And that maybe is a bit of an exaggeration, but if it is, it's not by much. So it's going to take time. But as you said earlier, Naomi, and as PayPal learned, if you try and build it centralized, these governments are going to crack down on it. And eventually you're going to realize, okay, either one, we can just stop trying and go into like insurance or something, or we can go decentralized and build this thing. And I think we're going to see a resurgence in like the cypherpunks, the people that started this space building these, because a lot of these companies that are starting to build projects are building it because they want to build a $10 billion cryptocurrency, sell 10% of it, cash out a billion bucks and, you know, go buy a Ferrari. But in crypto, <laughs> 
It was built originally by people that cared. And the people that cared about the why, not about the what, not about the dollars, not even so much about the how, they cared about the why. Why did we do it? We did it to put control back in our hands because I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of having to ask the government permission for absolutely every single thing I do because it ain't their business. I'm not, tr- I'm not hurting anybody. Leave me alone. I want to have my own finances. I don't want to put $100 under my bed and come back in 10 years, and it's only worth 20 because there's a silent tax going on called inflation. Bitcoin solves that. The technology was there. It took a long time, but it got there. Like you said, Naomi, I am hopeful, but I do think it's going to take probably longer than a lot of people think. Absolutely. Let's go to one of the comments from YouTube. Uh, so we've got lots of people who are weighing in about this, have some very strong opinions. Uh, so we had uh, Soul Devouring Dragon said it's okay to create something centralized if it's open source so that people can copy it and decentralize it over time. I think that open source plays a huge role in this. I agree um, that if you have these things out there that people can iterate on, we can improve, you can get lots of eyeballs on it. I think that's definitely one of the paths forward. Uh, if things are closed source, like I understand why people want to do that as well. But I think if we're building this decentralized economy, a lot of it really does need to be open and iterative. So I think that's a, a great point there. Wow. On that note, everyone, we are going to wrap up for today. You may have heard our uh, intro and outro music at the end. Just want to give a shout out to YT Cracker, the greatest Bitcoin music creator ever. This guy is like OG. This, I mean, I remember singing this song in the back of a bus in Bucharest with like McAfee and Brock Pierce and, and whatnot in like 2016 or whatever. Like this, this guy's been around uh, since early, early crypto days. But thank you for your music, sir. Thank you to everyone who's watching. Make sure that you like, share and subscribe on this channel and make sure that you're subscribed to Crypto Jeb. Where can people find you, Jeb? You can find me at Crypto Jeb over on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Crypto Jeb and at Crypto Jeb, J-E-B-B, on Twitter. And uh, make sure to follow Naomi also because a lot of you guys following her over here on YouTube are not following her on Twitter. I see you. Go follow her. She's got some great tweets. You're not going to want to miss them. Absolutely. Jeb always says the smart things. All right, thanks, guys, for tuning in. We are here every Friday at 4 p.m. bringing you all the latest and greatest in crypto and privacy. We appreciate you. Thanks for, for learning about this stuff with us and go have a wonderful weekend. Catch you later. Bye. Bye. I'm a Bitcoin parent, I'm